0: Welcome to season two of the Silver Caduceus Association podcast. I'm Dave Paramore. Uh, We recently had our uh, Silver Caduceus Association reunion in the Northern Virginia area. And uh, on this podcast, which kicks off season two, uh, this is designed to give you a behind the scenes look at some of the great conversations we had at the reunion. And uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy both of them as I uh, put them all together for you in one podcast so you get to, uh, get to listen to the whole uh, behind-the-scenes uh, conversations we had with uh, attendees at the conference. Uh, welcome again to Season 2. And uh, for more information, you can always reach us on SilverCadusisAssociation.org. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing both of these episodes with you now. Well, uh, hello, everyone. Welcome again. Guess what? We're uh, kicking off season two of the Silver Caduceus Association podcast. And bonus, we are here in Crystal City. Uh, Why are we here? And I'll get to who we are in a second. But uh, we're here at the 2021 reunion, Silver Caduceus Association reunion. And it's uh, we're about halfway through the reunion. We have got some activities tomorrow, and uh, got some great guests today. Uh, we've got the immediate past president now, Kyle Campbell, and now the newly elected president, Rob Howe, joining us. And uh, we're just going to kick this off and start talking about kind of the reunion and where we've come from, and then uh, the planning and the success of it and then some goals for this coming year. So um, let's start with Kyle, our immediate past president. And um, Kyle, you've uh, been president for how long now? A year. A year. Yeah, okay, this good. A, one
1: year. We uh, Because we had to delay the uh, reunion last year because of the pandemic, uh, we voted as a board to get us back on cycle at the next reunion. So uh, I ended up with a one-year instead of a two-year tour. Um, and We had an incredibly busy year with the board. We had five goals as we came into that. Uh, First, to plan and conduct a safe uh, and successful reunion, to increase and improve the information flow with uh, use of social media, uh, to investigate the use of sponsored events and increase our strategic communication, as you well know, Dave, since you led those committees, uh, and then to grow our membership. And finally, to increase our support to the Medical Service Corps community, specifically in scholarships and in, in Silver Caduceus Society uh, work and sponsorships and then education and information events. Because at the end of the day, the Silver Caduceus Association is a, uh, a social, educational, informational group. And that's what we exist to do is mentor and coach and take care of each other. So wow. our, our first goal, we certainly.
0: Uh, Wait, that are, was are... my question. I was going to ask oh, how I'm we did. Sorry. i mean, it's like uh, he's already grading himself and I didn't even no. get to ask the question. Yeah, I think we wrap it here, <laughs> Dave. No, I, I um, no, it's it's. It, it, it's Day one was an overwhelming success from my point of view, but we want to hear it from the immediate past president, like uh, the lead up and how, how we did not only for this conference, but uh, over the past year.
1: Well, so first I want to say that Lisa Weatherington and her team did a phenomenal job putting together this reunion. I mean, that turned into uh, literally a three year uh, level of effort for this to occur. Um and so we have today just wrapped day three of the reunion and tomorrow is, is our, our final day. Um, uh, the first day of just registration, et cetera, and, and getting things wired and getting people in, into town. Uh, yesterday we kicked off, uh, and started our day with a tour of the army museum. Um, uh, which was wonderful. And I'd have to say, I'd highly encourage anyone in the National Capital Region to to get out there and see that uh, museum. We spent almost three hours there. Um, I could have easily spent three days there. Um, I mean, I I just was blown away. What what were your thoughts, Ron?
2: Yeah, no, thanks, Kyle. What a great event and great initiative since the museum really just opened. So it's still got the new car smell and some of those exhibits were some of the best I've seen I was super excited because one of the uh, Sherman tanks on display was one of the actual tanks in the Battle of the Bulge. Whoa! Man. And uh, and the, you know, my my grandfather served in the Battle of the Bulge as a tank commander, and boy, that just hit home. So they did a fantastic job with that brand new facility. Yeah, fantastic. it was. It's stellar.
1: Uh, I'd have to agree. It was just stellar. So we, we then shifted from there. We had a, a, there was a board meeting yesterday afternoon and then we went into the registration for, for all the attendees and had a great opening reception in the uh, Skyview room last night um, where, you know, friendships were reking rekindled. Um, lots of stories were told and, and I am told that occasionally some of those stories were actually true. <laughs> uh, so that was a, it was a good group, but uh, again, Lisa and, and uh, Uh, Lisa and her team done an amazing job getting this together. And then
0: it sounds like, uh, sorry, forgive me to interrupt, but it sounds like, um, and I'm doing pushups for the group now because, uh, I actually flew in last night. Um, and, and unfortunately missed the, the fun part of the tour, but, um, you know, kicked off this morning with some some pretty high powered guest speakers. I know you're going to go into who, who were some of those speakers. Yeah, that's
1: uh, absolutely right. We we uh, started the day with a high powered me. I, I got to say hello. <laughs> Lisa Lisa opened it up, uh, and then I had the privilege of introducing uh, our 45th Army Surgeon General uh, and Commanding General MedCom, uh, Lieutenant General Scotty Dingle. And what we we celebrated the most was that. Uh, he is also our first, uh, our the 45th uh, and first uh, Medical Service Corps uh, Surgeon General. And so we were very, very excited uh, about that.
2: Uh, yeah. And I, I would say, Kyle, I thought one of the greatest moments was when General Dingell, uh, it was pretty touching when he highlighted some of the, you know, the shoulders he stood upon to get to where he is today. Because you know, in our audience, we have some absolute legends of the Medical Service Corps. Yep. And when you think about, I mean, we have a member there, an 87-year-old, a former or retired colonel, Medical Service Corps officer, and, and you know, General Dingle was, was very deliberate to thank those who came before uh, in the service of their nation as an MSC. So that was pretty exciting to see. Yeah, his remarks were
1: inspiring, and, and he spent a lot of time helping us understand the, uh, the medical command's role and the focus on readiness and the way that's been teased out and altered uh, with the advent and the standing up of the Defense Health Agency. Um, right after that, we went into a spouse and companions coffee uh, for, for those folks, and, and uh, we've got a, a great group of, of spouses here that have been participating uh, in events. Um, they've sat in some of the sessions, and then they've done some other travel pieces. Uh, after that, we went into a general membership and business meeting, uh, where we elected uh, Rob and the new board slate, which Rob uh, will uh, introduce his team uh, a little bit later in this talk. Uh, then we were we're lucky to have Colonel Mike Elliott, the uh, deputy corps chief of the medical service corps uh, office. Uh, and we actually have a post up on LinkedIn already showing showing him getting the uh, coveted coin and mask that we have for this uh, <laughs> reunion uh, as well as a book. And so Mike did a great job talking us through uh, the changes in the Medical Service Corps, uh, the adjustments that are being made, and, and how we're managing
2: our AOCs now. So that that was really nice. Yeah, one thing I really enjoyed about Mike's uh, presentation was how he highlighted some of our, our youngers out there who are just doing tremendous things, whether supporting COVID operations or serving in in Antarctica. I mean, just some tremendous accomplishments from some of our very junior Medical Service Corps officers that are having a strategic impact out there uh, for our Army, for our nation.
0: You know, one of the things that, um, and if we're being honest, you know, we have had decades of experience now going to conferences, um, and at least in my experience, particularly the larger conferences, uh, professional development otherwise, you kind of get lost in the population that that attends. One of the things that I noticed right away was was the just the power of the small group that uh, that were in attendance and and ability to um, you know communicate with with the speakers uh, in, in a way that you wouldn't otherwise get in another conference. So. To me, that was just a tremendous value for uh, for the attendees, and there were uh, several in the group that are active duty. Um, that that seemed to be uh, you know a real positive aspect of, of this opportunity. But uh, hey, Kyle, Dave, I'd would
2: like to echo that. I mean, I, the thing that struck me was how intimate the group was. It, it's a decent size group, but but the ability for some of our teammates to have one on ones with General Place or General right. Dingle, you know, and and really to communicate and, and work together and, and so the senior leaders can hear from some juniors as well as some of those who came before him. I, yeah. I thought that was a great aspect of this reunion. Uh, and, and I got to say uh, w-
1: when you see some of, some of us as retirees all, all standing in line to get selfies with a certain general uh, <laughs> uh, and shake his hand um, and how gracious General Dingle and General Place and Colonel Elliott were with their time uh, even greeting with people, um, one-on-one afterward to take questions that people didn't want to ask in group settings. Yep. Uh, and again, they, they stayed and did those photos. It, it was amazing. So I, I, agree, Rob, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, and, and to, to that point, uh, Lieutenant General Ron Place, who's the director of the Defense Health Agency, um, let us know that they are celebrating their eighth birthday today. They, uh, have eight years as a, as an agency, combat support agency. Um, and he walked us through, you know, all of the shared services and the work and, and just the the, the scope um, of what the Defense Health Agency takes care of. And, and I think that opened a lot of eyes in the room. Um, it certainly opened mine. Um, the Defense Health Agency was uh, just just starting as I retired. Um, and, and it's just impressive to see how much they're wrestling with and, and how candid General Place was with, you know, that it's still a work in progress and, and there are still shifts and adjustments being made. Um, he let us know that it's by the end of this calendar year that all of those facilities will be uh, uh, under the Defense Health Agency for managing the, the MTF mission. So it was high speed. And so that that closed up today. And then tomorrow, just uh, quickly, we'll have our memorial service uh, is how we're going to start off tomorrow, which I, I think is incredibly important. We, we spend a lot of time making sure that our members are aware um, of the loss of, of our compatriots um, and honoring those who came before us, uh, as well as respecting their families, uh, who, who in so many cases continue to stay associated with us. Uh, then we'll have a presentation from the Military Officers Association of America, and then we're excited about Brigadier General uh, Paul Lodi, the MEDCOM Deputy Commanding General for Support, will be speaking to us, um, and, and then we will roll into our uh, uh, banquet. To close out the week uh, and this time of uh, fellowship and camaraderie, so we're we're real excited.
0: Outstanding. I mean, uh, you know, by the time this actually airs, it may be past tense for some listeners, but um, a huge uh, flavor for uh, for those of you out there, an opportunity um, to attend in the future. When is the next reunion?
2: Yeah, Dave, we're, we're planning our next reunion to occur in 2023 and we'll return to San Antonio, uh, army medicine mothership uh, All right. to conduct that ceremony or correction that, that event. Yeah. Yeah. Outstanding. No, it's, it'll be exciting.
0: And, and, and um, it sounds like, uh, it is, two years goes by pretty quick because it takes a while to plan it. It takes a while to get the word out. And now with, uh, uh, this technology and other ways to reach out, uh, Sure, we'll have a much larger uh, opportunity and, and group to uh, participate rob um so now you're at the helm and um, you know we can kind of think that uh what what the future brings to us but what are your thoughts about some ideas you have for uh for the sca going forward
2: uh, well first and foremost i've got to thank uh, kyle for just his tremendous leadership over this past year He's really done a tremendous job of pulling us together as a unified group and uh, and growing our membership. One of the biggest things that he tackled was really kind of a lackluster membership uh, movement. And in his time, you know, we, we've gone well over 700, uh, you know, participants and active members in our group. So we're growing. Yeah. And so one of our main initiatives with the new team will be continuing that legacy. And when I say legacy, I mean the legacy of the Medical Service Corps. And so we've got a great team assembled to focus on continued growth uh, for our team. We'd like to exceed 1,000 members. And so we, we plan to make a very deliberate effort in that regard, as well as uh, communicating with our, our members, uh, which is a big focus, uh, both internally and then also having that uh, the touch points externally and then uh, you know Kyle highlighted uh, some of the efforts involving philanthropy and our service to others which is a, one of our key tenets of the organization so you know that will be a, a key focus area and then really our 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 overall connection with those silver caduceus societies out there interactive side offering them financial support and really doing a lot for, for our community. That's, that's our goal. So those will be some of our our main focus areas moving forward over the the next year or two.
1: Rob, I I appreciate that, that, that comment, but I I gotta say, this has been the the work of the entire committee and, you know, Roger uh, Williams has done just a spectacular job helping us with a membership and again, hitting 734 members is, is amazing. And we're all on board to help you get to a thousand. Uh, one of the things that we learned from this year in, in terms of our, our, five goals was to increase that information flow and improve our social media. And, uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle C. Campbell has done a phenomenal job doing that. Uh, and he got it so that we can now register for the, the reunion online and that we can join online or even make donations to our, uh, very important, um, uh, scholarship fund online. And what we have seen is that that was absolutely a key part of growing our membership um, was having that ability. We, we, we joked this morning that we have multiple people that have told us that they no longer have checkbooks and they couldn't even find a check uh, if they had to, to, to join. So, so now with it online, they were able to. Um, the second thing as Rob mentioned is the silver Caduceus societies and our linkage with them. Um, Brett Venable did a phenomenal job and we stood up uh, or they stood up 25 different locations stood up um, Silver Caduceus Societies and then we helped sponsor and support um, different events. They conducted over 30 different events including a Silver Caduceus Society staff ride uh, at Yorktown uh, and we're confident that uh, they also helped grow the membership. Um, The other piece that that we talked on is what we're doing right now is these podcasts that, uh, you, Dave have led with us and we're, we're so appreciative of your assistance and and helping us to get the word out. You know, we just weren't sure what was going to happen in year one. Uh, and we, have now done, this is going to be our 11th podcast. Uh, but after 10 podcasts, we've had over 20, uh, 2,500 people listen to them. Uh, And so that that's much more than we had ever expected. But we want to work on how we can increase that and improve that. And so that's why we're you know we're doing today's discussion to to make sure we talk through that. Uh, You know, let me take a moment and talk on those scholarships. One of the things that that Robin his board are going to be addressing is you know how can we increase the number of people uh, and the amount that we get to those folks because what's unique about our scholarship is that it enables the, the person to get the money directly. Hmm. So rather than going to the institution, to the school, it goes to the, the, the student. Um, and, and that's a big deal. And so we're looking at increasing that amount um, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, the, the last thing I wanted to say on the uh, the goals and the, the work was the you know, great work that Tom Barker has done as our, um, our CFO uh, managing our budget uh, does just a, a spectacular job. So we're real appreciative of, of Tom Barker and his uh, support through that. Um, you know, Dave, we've talked a lot about um, looking at uh, sponsorship opportunities. And this year we, we had uh, our first uh, first one that I'm aware of, um, uh, a member donated $5,000 to us, uh, that we could use for the reunion. Uh, and that has worked out very, very well. We're very excited about that. Uh, and we've already had dialogue with, uh, a silver caduceus officer, uh, who is, uh, very successful in the community who who is willing to step forward and, and sponsor one of these podcasts,
0: um,
1: as we get closer to the next reunion, um, but also sponsor, uh, a component of the reunion. So we're hopeful that with, uh, with Rob's leadership, that we can reach out to other MSCs that are successful in life after the military, because we want our, our active members to recognize that there is a life after the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nowhere near as good as while you're in the army, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll always want to be back, uh, but there is a life and there's a lot of opportunity there. Right. And so I uh, uh, thought that was something for us.
2: Yeah, Kyle, I think that's a great point is that community, uh, I, you know, I'm recently retired. I've got uh, you know tw- two months under my belt now, and that transition's <laughs> tough. Whether you've got a job laid on immediately after you retire or not, it's it's tough. And like you said, you'll that camaraderie that we feel in uniform is not really replicated on the, in the civilian sector. Yeah. So I think it's a this is an excellent opportunity to connect uh, with with others, even to get people thinking about that retirement thing earlier in their career uh, and, and modeling some of our f- former MSCs that have been so incredibly successful out there in the business world or in healthcare or wherever you may find them. And so I, I just think that's another key component of our communication strategy in the yeah. coming year. Yeah. Good. So I, I think there's a, there's two other things
1: I'd like to make sure we do as we have this discussion. One I want to do some thanks to the outgoing board and the committee members. And then I, I'd like, uh, Rob, if you talk through your new board, uh, I really appreciate that. So, um, Major General retired uh, David Rubenstein is uh, our immediate past president. I um, want to thank David. He has been just phenomenal uh, and supportive as we've had this uh, highly adventurous year with a uh, year and a half with the pandemic. Um, and just his leadership and sound counsel has been awesome. And I, I'm very grateful for him. Uh, and then Ed Hollingsworth, you know, Ed is a, a, he's a national treasure. Um, he, he really is. He, he's done a, a phenomenal job um, maintaining our newsletter and, and supporting the system. Um, Ed's just done yeoman's work for years, making a difference for our organization. I already talked about Tom Barker and how well he's done. Uh, then our secretary, Dave Bitterman, uh, superb job. Dave has been there. No matter what the question was, Dave was, you know, had his hand up and said, sure, I'll be glad to help. We can make this happen. Uh, again, I've spoken a lot on Lisa Wetherington, what just stellar work that she and her team have done with uh, Bev Beavers as part of that. Uh, and then Colonel Brett Venable, again, his leadership with the Silver Caduceus Societies really opened up that aperture and helped them to understand that they are not and do not have to be private organizations, but rather they're a collection of medical service corps officers at a specific post-camper station that get together to discuss topics of relevance. That could be leadership. It could be a pandemic response. It could be, you know, talking to you, David, when you did your ride across America supporting wounded warriors, uh, when you stopped and did that with the leadership um, of the, um, Field Hospital, I think it was, at the uh, uh, wonderful Fort Bliss in El Paso. Uh, and then Colonel uh, Retired Roger Williams, who's, again, done the membership and a spectacular job with that. Um, two gentlemen who stepped in and, and helped us out by doing the audit, uh, Colonel Retired uh, Scott Hendrickson and Ken Canestrini. We really appreciate them. Uh, and, and, you know, Dave, yourself, uh, with the Strategic Communication, have been great help, uh, Lieutenant um Colonel retired Kyle C. Campbell, again, with his web and social media work. Um, We we have the memorial service, uh, again, going on tomorrow morning, and and that's been work that uh, Doug Brandel has done. And and Doug has just been, uh, again, another stellar contributor uh, making this happen and putting together these very solemn and very important ceremonies. And he's had a chaplain apprentice this year, uh, uh, Mr. Rob Goodman, who's a SES-2, uh, currently the G8 or whatever the title is for the G8 or Comptroller for the Defense Health Agency. Uh, and then I, I, one of our plank holders who, who stood up the Silver Caduceus Association, uh, Jim Vinci. Uh, Jim has just been wonderful. Uh, uh, he, he's been such a sound counsel. he uh, been there to help us. He, he manages the LinkedIn and keeps that information flowing. Uh, he's been a, a you know, a voice to, to walk us through the history. Uh, But the counsel he's provided has been invaluable. So I I am just deeply appreciative of that entire team.
0: It's, it sounds like the Silver Caduceus Association is a lot more than just a few people. I mean, it's a, it's a big team that puts
2: this together. Uh, Rob, you wanted to highlight a few of uh, your current leaders that are going to help you. Yeah, thanks. We, we really have a great team. Uh, and I, I'm really honored just to have the opportunity to continue serving our community in this manner. And and so we've had a number of other volunteers step up uh, and offer their support to the Silver Caduceus Association. So I'll just highlight uh, the main uh, board member team, but uh, Kim Ayalo has agreed to uh, serve as my successor in the role of president elect uh, additionally, uh, Sean Allen has is, is agreed to step up and serve as the VP and our, our newsletter uh, lead as, as director there. As much as I hate to see Dave Bitterman uh, move on, uh, he has agreed to, to apprentice a little bit uh, as Major Brian Spear was voted in an active component officer to serve as our secretary. Herman Hagray has agreed to fill Lisa Wetherington's considerable shoes, uh, given uh, her just the amazing work that she did in this year's reunion. But I know Herman's up to the task and look forward to working with him in that role. Uh, thankfully, Tom Barker has agreed to stay on as the treasurer. He's done such a tremendous job over the years. We would hate to lose that continuity. And then we had uh, J- Jared McGee, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jared McGee out of Fort Bliss agree uh, to serve as our Silver Caduceus Society liaison and take over for Brett Venable, who who was masterful over this last year or so. And and so it's just great to have Jared join us. And then we do have a a new position with this year's board that was voted in by the General Assembly today. Uh, And Major General Retired Rubenstein has agreed to remain on as our Director for Leadership Engagement. And boy, do we value his sage wisdom uh, for this team as we move forward. So that's that's your new team. Oh, good. And uh, and we look for, I look really look forward to working with them as well as some of the, the members that continue to serve so faithfully in our various committees across the landscape.
0: No, that's that's amazing. Again, it's the volunteers that takes a whole team to make this work. Um I'm going to ask, uh, you know, maybe a a little more challenging question now uh, of both of you, because uh, the this morning uh, we heard from the active duty leaders, uh, the transformation that's underway, uh, not only in Army medicine, but of course, the military health system. Um, Organizations like this are designed to to help advocate for for our core. Um, are there any challenges that you can think of that, uh, that our organization can help with um, uh, within the Medical Service Corps or military health system? What, what are some uh, challenges that you see uh, this year, uh, Rob, maybe in, in your role?
2: Well, I, I think that it, you, we really got to hear perspective from our senior leaders up front and personal today. And, and one of the things I'd say that, that I think we really need to capture is ongoing membership and focusing on our people. And you know, we as an Army have developed a task force related to people first. And as a Silver Caduceus Association moves forward, I want to make sure we maintain that focus as as job one. And so in order for us to focus on our people, I think what we can offer to some of these complex challenges is mentorship from experience, both people who are currently serving or those who formerly served, because a lot of these challenges have presented themselves years ago. And some people have have made it through some of these challenges, or at least similar challenges in the past. So I think we have great opportunity to serve as kind of mentors and coaches to some of our, particularly some of our younger service member that, that joined the team. And, and uh, I look forward to that opportunity in the coming years. Um, I, I think that, you know, we are on a great glide path for our team as it stands. We, you know, we, we've seen this growth, which is important to maintain the legacy that, that we all really seek. And so I, I think that, you know, we're there is a challenge for organizations in maintaining that interest level for these different types of organizations, whether they're service organizations, philanthropic, whatever they may be. So I think we're always going to be challenged in that regard. But I'm confident with our team now and with the team that's come before us that we're on the right trajectory to make a big difference and to continue to stimulate growth within our our community. And that growth results in better opportunities to to interact with others and learn and grow together as the medical service corps
0: yeah yeah i think
2: that yeah i think that's uh i think rob is is right on with that
1: but the key to that is going to be communication Mm. we have uh absolutely struggled um, to when we find out so many times as we meet active members or retired members and talk about silver caduceus association one of the first questions is what What's that? <laughs> what is that? Um, and so we, we've got some work to do with the communication piece. And I think that's the way we drive and accomplish each of the pieces that Rob just laid out. Um, you know, years ago, uh, Colonel Rick Augusta um, uh, was beating me up when he was my boss. Um, I was telling him how, how frustrated I was because I, I hadn't gotten, quote, anything done that day. And he said, well, if you didn't get anything done, I'm going to fire you. Because, you know, he was all about being kind and gentle. <laughs> and I, he said, "What did you do today?" And I and I walked him through what I had done. He goes, "Well, then, what do you mean you didn't do anything?" I, I said, "Well, you know, I had these ten other things I wanted to get done," <laughs> and and he did just as you're doing now, Dave. He laughed, right? Because that I, I was younger in my career. That is a captain, and and, and his point w- was as germane then as it is today. Um, focus on what you've gotten accomplished. Right. Don't don't forget that, right? right. But we're all hardwired. To look at our list and go, oh, man, I still have these things to do. We need to communicate the great things that medical service corps officers are doing today in the fight, wherever that fight is, whether it's COVID, whether it's a deployment activity, um, or or whether it's a retired medical service corps officer who stood up her own business and is servicing the nation. Uh, We need to tell those stories. There is tremendous talent in the medical service corps. That's why we all get together to talk together, and we want to show that because we want our youngsters, our active members, to recognize that, again, there is life after the Army, uh, and that there are tremendous accomplishments that are happening. So we want to tell those stories.
0: Well, with that segue, um, again, as we said at the top, this is the kickoff of Season 2. We already have a slate of folks that we're going to be interviewing, uh, Medical Service Corps Uh, Current and past Medical Service Corps officers throughout season two and all the great work that they're doing uh, to contribute uh, to industry our government, the Army uh, across the board. So we're excited about that. Well, listen, um, it was great to do this kickoff and uh, meet up here at at the reunion. Uh, We've got the again, the past president, immediate past president. Let me get that title right. uh, (laughs) Kyle Campbell and now the president, Rob Howe. Thank you both for joining us. And uh, we hope to uh, uh, see each and every one of you who are listening to this podcast at our next reunion. And do we have a month on, on that or is it too
2: early? Too early. Okay, 2023. But we're looking at fall of 2023.
0: Fall of 2023 in San Antonio.
2: I mean, Antonio. let's be honest, how, how hard uh,
0: would that be? That's good. Uh, so we look forward to seeing you all there. Uh, once again, you can reach us on our website at silvercaduceusassociation.org uh, for all the current updates there. For this podcast, you've already found it, so I don't need to tell you, but it's uh, on Apple, but it's also on Spotify. It's also on Amazon. Uh, you can reach out to your favorite podcast platform to get us there. We're, we look forward to uh, season two and you joining us as, uh, as we have more of these. So thanks for joining us, everyone. Well, hey, folks, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Silver Caduceus Association leadership. Um, Listen, it's really my privilege now to uh, share with you uh, this next conversation I had at the conference uh, with Colonel Retired Sherman Ragland. Uh, He is a pioneer in the U.S. Army Social Work Program. Uh, He was our most senior member at the conference at age 87, and uh, he shares his very impactful story about his time at Walter Reed in the early 70s. So I hope you enjoy uh, this conversation now. Well, hello, everyone. Dave Paramore again. Um, We've just wrapped up the 2021 reunion of the Silver Caduceus Association here in the D.C. area. I'm uh, really excited about our guest today. Uh Colonel retired Sherman Ragland is with us and uh, he has served in the social work community of the medical service corps. Um, but uh welcome Sherman. Thank you. Um yeah, I think uh is uh, it's uh safe to say that you were and you you announced it at at the conference here that you were the senior member <laughs> of of our conference uh uh, tell us about uh, when you joined the military and joined the Medi- Medical
3: Service Corps. Well, I came into the Army in 1956, uh, fresh out of college, and I was commissioned a second lieutenant in the Medical Service Corps.
0: You became a social worker in, in, uh, in Army Medicine, Medical Service Corps. Tell us about how that came about. How did social work come about in the Medical Service Corps?
3: Um, I wanted to go back to graduate school. I wanted to be a hospital administrator. I paid a visit to the Surgeon General's office in Washington and I made that known. The chief of personnel at that time uh, says to me, we have enough um, folks that want to be Army administrators, but we don't have enough social workers. Professional social workers, which graduate degree, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he says, "I see, well, you have an undergraduate degree in social work. Why don't you think about going back to long-term training and get your master's degree in social work?" Whereupon I applied and uh, was accepted, and I was the first person that they sent that the military sent back to graduate school to become a social worker. Wow,
0: first person. What year was that?
3: I started in 1968, finished in 1970.
0: Okay. And where did social work, when you graduated, uh, what specialty did it fall under at that time?
3: In the Army, it fell under the uh, specialty of of psychiatry. Psychiatry. Along with psychology. Psychology. Mm -hmm.
0: And I understand that uh, you were part of the foundation of transitioning social work um, under its own specialty in the Medical Service Corps. Is that right?
3: Boy, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk about it now because I'm retired. <laughs> I could not have talked about it uh, at that time. I um, was fortunate. Uh, I was assigned to Walter Eat, stationed in Washington, and um, I got involved with the profession of social work with the professional organization called the National Association of Social Workers. Somewhere during one of my conversations with the executive director of that organization. I mentioned to him uh, that in the military, social work came under the auspices of psychiatry. Hmm. And he looked at me in shock and awe and said, well, why is that? I said, well, I don't know. I haven't been in the field that long. I don't know. He uh, wrote a letter to the Secretary of the Army asking that question. Why is social work under the auspices of psychiatry? Why doesn't it stand on its own? Well, I guess he had some more conversations with the Secretary of the Army, and lo and behold, social work was uncoupled from psychiatry as far as them being the dominant profession. So now in the military, social work stands on its own.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the founding member of, of Social Work for Army Medicine. We're just I just wanted you all to hear that. That's it's an amazing story. What um, and what what year did did it really decouple from to stand on its own?
3: I think somewhere around 1973-74. Okay.
0: And so in 73-74, in kind of at the end of the Vietnam era, what, uh, what was a day in the life like of a, an army social work professional? What were things, what were they, what were you all doing in that time?
3: I, I was fortunate uh, when I finished my master's at Catholic University and uh, became a uh, social worker I was assigned to Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And at that time, uh, Walter Reed was the pinnacle of of military medicine. Mm -hmm. So social work became a member of a team, of a medical team, and depends on what type of medicine you wanted to practice, social work was included in that. My specialty was um, casework, okay, which meant I was a mental health type social worker. I was doing therapy, okay. So I was on the team with the psychiatrist, uh, with the psychiatric nurse, and with psychology. And when we dealt with a patient, all four disciplines had an equal voice in how that uh, wow. the patient was treated. And I had my part, you know. The psychologist had his part, nurse had her part, and the psychiatrist had his part.
0: I mean, that's amazing. Can you, um, you know, what? The main thing to, comes to my mind, and and our maybe our listeners would uh, agree. Can you maybe describe a, a highlight of your career at that time um, that you felt had the most impact on? On the uh, patients at that time, what were some of the some of your highlights?
3: How much time you got? Uh, we got all the time you <laughs> we got all the time you want. <laughs> I I was uh, I don't want to um, all social work didn't do what I did, and I say that to say. Walter Reed at that time, which which was Walter Reed was the pinnacle of military medicine. Um, I always say that uh, uh, presidents came to Walter Reed to die, because that was the place which was so good, right, so well situated that 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 was just the way it was. Social work and all the other fell into that umbrella and fell into that culture. Right. The culture at that time at Walter Reed was one that was very tumultuous. Um, there was a lot of race relations issues that were going on. Uh, I remember one time uh, doing these doing those days that the whole hospital closed down. Wow. The general wouldn't let anybody come on the post and they wouldn't let anybody go off the post. There was no physical altercations, but the minority community was lined up on one side, the george community land up on the other side outside the, the gates no inside inside the gates the gates. Inside in, in downtown, the gates. downtown yeah yeah when walter reed was and the yeah. twins wouldn't meet wow. man 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 they didn't know what to do wow um fortunately for me after i finished my training at catholic university went to saint elizabeth's hospital to learn how to do psychodrama wow many people did not know and probably still don't know, you know, the whole science of psychodrama. Well, psychodrama is is a science that says, show me. If I ask you, how do you feel? You tell me you feel great. I tell you I feel great. But I don't know what that means. Right. I don't know what great to you means. Right. So psychodrama says, show, show me. me. Show me. And you people can will go through all types of contortions to show you how they actually feel. Well, I said to my boss at the time, why don't you let me try a program with these groups of people to talk about how they feel about working in this environment, one way or the other. Now, in order to do that, what we're going to have to do, we're going to have to take all of the adjectives out of it—the type that you usually hear when you talk race relations. We're going to have to take away uh, "you're racist." We're going to, have to take away all these kinds of things that make these folks argue and fight with each other. Which, uh, um, what's the word I want to use? Which impacts? Patient care. Because mm-hmm. if you have a patient on the table in the emergency room or wherever you have it, him or her, and you have two people that are taking care of the patients, and then it can get along with each other. Mm-hmm. Who gets it in in, 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 in the neck? See the patient. The patient. So my boss said, Can you do it? I said, I don't know, I've never done it. <laughs> but I'm a trained, not only am I a social worker, but I am a school trained psychodramatist. Let's try it. Right. So he took me with him to see the general, who was a two-star general. And uh, he said, excuse my friends, but what the hell is this? <laughs> I said... General, it's a way of getting people to interact with each other in a positive way. And that's what we needed, Walter Reed. Wow. That's what we needed, Walter Reed. Because if I call you a racist, it brings the shade down. And you don't know why I called you that. All we know, you know, when we look at the outcome, the outcome eventually impacts the patient. So he says, Okay, let's try it. And I said, it's not gonna be easy. It's gonna be hard. And we're gonna make a lot of people very, very uncomfortable. And in his word, I don't give a damn. Let's try something. We have to try something. So we did. Now, the way I started, I I, um, had the anti defamation League uh, come down and survey what was going on at Walter Reed. Walter Reed was a huge organization. At that time, they had something like 1,500 officers, 1,500.
0: 1,500.
3: Medical officers. That's wow. just, that was just a medical officer. At Walter Reed. Yeah, doctors. And then they had all the other ancillary people that fit into that. So right. we had a campus probably somewhere in the neighborhood of Oh, I would say five to 8,000 people because it was a thousand bed hospital and it was right in the middle of the Vietnam War. So I had the anti-defamation league make me some vignettes of actual situations that happened at Walter Reed. So I could show people when I say, okay, this is what happened here and this is the problem that we have because we're not talking to each other. Well, we made those vignettes. It fell upon me to recruit the staff that I wanted. And I I recruited social workers, social workers, that I knew that I could train, that could help me because I had to train the whole post. And we're talking about 8,000 people. And we're talking about they had to go through, quote-unquote, raglans, race relations training. Wow. Wow. It was mandatory. There was no getting out of it. Wow. Here's the list of people. And so we're going to schedule these people. And we schedule them in small groups of uh, 10 people. And these are provider groups? No, these were people that, yeah, that, 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 that were actual staff. Okay. Staff at, at Walter Reed. At, at Walter Reed. Um, two years to do the whole thing. But now, before we get to the staff, to the sergeants and the GSIs, we're going to train all the officers. Mm-hmm. We're going to train the general, who was a two-star general, and all his chiefs, and all his chiefs were four colonels. He so started the top. Started the top. General, if you don't want me to do that, I can't do it. I can't give the troops, quote unquote, something that you haven't been through and you don't approve it because it's going to be hard enough as it is. Right. My white friends are not going to like me because they think I'm going overboard. My black friends are not going to like me because they don't think I'm doing enough. But I've got to have your 100% support in order to do this, because in the end, it's gonna be your program. I'm just gonna run it. So that's what he said, okay, let's do it. First group that I had was that general, I had uh, 10 officers, the general and nine full colonels, all of them chief, chief medicine, chief surgery, all of them senior level people. All of them, other than the general, Got very upset.
0: Really? Everyone?
3: Every, well, when I say everyone, I would say at least eight out of 10. This will never work. Uh, why do you say this? Here's the vignette. Here's the vignette. For example, we had a laundry on the post that employed 100 black women. We had two supervisors that were two white men. And we had two restrooms one for women, one for men. Now, the women said, This is a racist place. We have one bathroom, and these two white men have one bathroom. And there's a hundred of us. Presented to the general, he said, Well, One's for female, one's for male. I said, but yeah, look what you got. You got 100 black females with one bathroom. Two white males with one bathroom. Now, the perception is this is the biggest racist thing that you could possibly have on this post. He had never thought about that. Never thought about it, because nobody ever talked about it. But the way it came out was, you know, women got mad, half do the laundry, all kinds of things happened. That was just that one piece. We had situations with the professional teams where, again, meditate, where we had some officers sitting around talking, and uh, this one white officer said, Uh, I can't, I don't like to treat black patients. I don't understand them. And it takes me too long to treat them, much more so than it does my white patients. But wait a minute, doctor, you have been trained to treat patients. Why do you have to separate them out? He didn't know he was doing it. So we uncovered all that stuff. And there's something I learned in the School of Social Work. If you open up a situation, you got to put it back together. you got to put, put it back together, right? <laughs> you, can't, you can't open it up and leave it, <laughs> it out of the community. It's right. all hell breaks loose. Um, but that, that was just a, a piece of a, a huge, huge puzzle that was going on.
0: How are you able to pull it back together? Like, so when, when you uncovered this with the leadership and the vignettes, what were some of the highlights of, hey, look, you know we're, uh, these are some ways we were able to put it all back
3: together? Well, as an example, let's take this uh, bathroom as an example. When the general found out, when, when his eyes were open, he built a new laundry. With enough bathrooms for the women and enough for the men that's one example we had um, a what we call the Walterine army institute of nursing uh which trained nurses they took them uh out of their second year in college and they already paid them for the next two years then they then the, the nurses trained them to be army nurses and they came into the army as first lieutenants. All those students were white. Mm-hmm. When it came time for me to train the rain director, the question was asked in one of these vignettes, why aren't there any black students in that program? Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this was a lucrative program, man. You're talking about... Getting your tuition paid for two years and then getting commission as first lieutenant. Right. She says I can't find any. Yeah, I can't find I can't, any.
0: I now, can't find any. That's I what you said. I can't find
3: any black students. Now remember, Walter Reed is right in the middle of Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. How many universities do you have in Washington D.C.? In the main one, the senior black. College in that community is her university. Right, Howard. I can't find any. Just so happened that on her staff, she had a black major. And so I said to her, Why don't you send that major down to Howard university and have her find you half a dozen? <laughs> <laughs> her mouth flew open. Huh? I said, Yeah, why don't you send her down right, there? Right, right, right. She sent her down there. Two weeks later, she had six black students <laughs> to go to that program. Yeah, amazing.
0: Yeah,
3: and that's just for starters. That's just for starters. Right. And um, and I'm trying to respond to your question about you know how you know how about some of the highlights. Um, when I first got to Walter Reed, before I even got into that program, I was on a black field grade. officer on the post out of those 1500 officers that I told you about. And I told my general, why don't you have the sergeant, sergeant general send you some black officers? Yeah. Send you some black officers. So about a year later we had a colonel showed up and I mean a year later. Yeah. yeah. But 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 it was it it, it was something To me, the hardest part was getting through to the senior level people. But when you show them a vignette, they could not deny that. Out of this program, when we started this program, and then I guess about uh, six months to a year, we looked at it and it was, we saw some success we saw people talking to each other, excuse me. Um, Some of my own social work colleagues that were stationed across the country, they said to me, Raglan, what kind of research are you gonna do on it? How do you know it's gonna work? I said, don't. (laughs) (laughs) But you got a better idea? What's your idea? Right, what's your idea? Yeah, what's your idea? <laughs> this is Walter Reed, and we used to call it Walter Wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you give your right arm for this assignment. Right. And they close this post down one day all because the blacks and whites couldn't get together. What's your idea? Right. What do you think we ought to do? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's try this. Well, lo and behold, it began to work. And when it began to work, Everybody and his brother came out of the woodwork and wanted to copy it. <laughs> <laughs> they, The program was written up in, in, in the uh, uh, Army Times. It was written up in the New York Times. Um, I testified to it on Capitol Hill. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League uh, brought me up to New York and they, at their big meeting and we talked about how this program worked. Now, Raglan got the credit for it, but that two-star general was the one that said, we're gonna make this work come hill or high water because he told me, and I will not repeat the name, but Walter Reed was building a new Walter Reed, building a new hospital. They got the money for it, and the senator, who's now long dead and gone, called him in and told him, we're going to send you out to Walter Reed. You've got to resolve the race relations problems out there or we're not going to build a hospital out there. So when he came out there, and I'm jumping around a little bit, when he came, he was looking for people that would help him pulled this together. That's how he got sold on it. It wasn't that I was so good that I sold him on it because I'd never done it. But I had went to him and presented him with something that he said, let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. Wow, that's amazing. And so for four years uh, until I retired, I had a team and that's what, I did. Won't worry. Wow. Amazing.
0: Yep. So you were a pioneer in not only army medicine, bringing social work as its own uh, area of concentration within the medical service corps, but just some amazing, impactful work on race relations in the army. Mm-hmm. Army's pioneers in, in that. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, kind of where since your retirement and and what uh, what you've been working on since retirement and and by the way, I'll leave it up to you. I'll ask the question. You can tell me whether you want to answer it. How old are you now?
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that I uh, <laughs> that I asked the lady the other day. When then asked me that question, how old do I look? Oh, you you look
0: like you're like sixty.
3: Okay, uh, but that's what, what she what, said. What, what, what's the real answer?
0: <laughs> Try 87. 87. 87. 87 years old. I mean, <laughs> yes. that's, a, that's amazing. So, I mean, you retired in 76. The world has changed. I mean, amazing. What, what are the things you've been working on since you retired?
3: Well, the world has changed, but it really hasn't. Okay. Talk, talk us through It really that. hasn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. I retired from Walter Reed on a Friday, the 1st of August, 1976. I went to work at the National Institute of Mental Health on Monday. Wow! And I stayed on that job for thirty years. Wow! So I stayed in the army twenty years. Stayed in the army for thirty years. Fifty years of government service. The the experiences that I learned at Walter Reed yep, prepare me, <laughs> believe me, for the federal government. Um, and that. In those days, in was the pinnacle of, 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 uh, of mental health as far as the federal concern. I did not get involved in direct patient care like I did at Walter Reed, but I got involved in, in helping to uh, uh, helping the institute to look at grants that they sent out and what they did with it. I was fortunate, very fortunate. Uh, uh, in the hierarchy after I had been there about for oh, probably about six years, they had a big reorganization and they decided that they were going to bring in a new person and make him, make her rather, the associate director for, as they call it, special populations and her job, was to look at women and minorities in our grant program. Wow. Well, lo and behold, I was fortunate with that because I had followed her to graduate school. I had, I had known her for 15 years. So we had a conversation one day before she got there, and I told her, well, you're going to have a hard time in this organization because you don't want to know anything about the federal government and, and and it's accessible. It can be if you don't have somebody to uh, watch your back. The organization wanted to give her quote unquote a GS6 to be her deputy and she was coming in as a member of the senior executive service. And all those folks other than she, had GS-15s as her deputy. Wow. So it, it, it gives you an idea of what the organization saw as her. Here's a woman that's coming in and they're gonna give her GS-6. So she said, after we uh, talked a bit, and so about a week later, she said to me, why don't you be my deputy? And I said, no. And she says, why not? I said, because we're friends. Friends can't, it's been my experience, friends don't work for friends. You know, because you expect too much out of me, and I'm going to expect too much out of you. And uh, so she came back to me a week later and said, I'll tell you what, if you become my deputy, I'll make you a GS-15. At the time, I was a 14. And I'd always won 15. That was the brass ring. And so she got my attention. And so she worked it out where I became her deputy. Wow. And I and I was state her deputy for 15 years until wow. she moved on to, a, to another job, a higher higher position. And so some of the kinds of things that we did, I brought all that experience with me from Walter Reed to tell her, you know this is the way we used to do the at Walter Reed and it worked wow this is just not something that we're talking about this i'm telling you something that worked and i don't have to sit around and wait for it because i know it works so that's what happened wow at, at Walter Reed the big big part of my my career at uh wow. at NIMH for about 15 years was was assisting her uh with her job wow which which I liked. Wow, it, it 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 did away with my myth about working for friends. So it worked <laughs> out
0: okay. <laughs> well, Sherman, it's you, I mean your stories and just for our audience, I, I would love to, I mean, come back and talk to you more. I mean, we this is the, the, we do these podcasts and it's just been amazing to hear your stories here today. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe we can do a part two someday. I'll reach out and uh, maybe maybe you can think about some other stories to share because, I mean, like you said, the world hasn't changed, right? uh, We have struggles uh, today Um, and we're just delighted to hear that you were a pioneer, uh, not only in the Medical Service Corps by really being uh, kind of the... uh, i'll call it the, the the pioneer for social work in the medical service corps but
3: uh yeah that's true see we never we never got to my early days in the military yeah. maybe we
0: can come back and, and do that, <laughs> do that uh, um, time. but uh would we, love to we'd love to hear more about that we'll do we'll, we'll we'll schedule some time to do a part two because you've uh you've really been an impactful uh a participant here today and just you know hearing your comments throughout uh, throughout the conference just really was a breath of fresh air and just really enjoyed hearing your stories so sherman thanks for joining us today um i know our audience is going to love hearing your stories today uh, but uh, we'll uh we'll make some time to come back and hear some more but uh so sherman raglan was our guest today uh once again uh, we, uh, we're, we're capping off another reunion. We'll, uh, as, as we heard on the podcast yesterday, that, uh, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing everyone in San Antonio in two years. Sherman, you promise to come back in two years?
3: Uh, let's hope so. Let's, <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been great. And, uh, so, uh, thanks Sherman for joining us today and, and for everyone as, as always, you can, uh. Find out more about Silver Caduceus Association at org, And as always, you can find our podcasts on the uh, website, but also on Amazon, Apple uh, Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks again, folks. And uh, you all have, have a, a great, uh, great fall as it's coming up. And uh, reach out to us anytime. We'd love to hear from you. Well, hey, folks. I hope you enjoyed the season two kickoff of the Silver Caduceus Association podcast. We really had some great conversations and uh, some great memories at the 2021 Silver Caduceus Association reunion. Um, you can always check us out on silvercaduceusassociation.org for more information. And uh, I'm just excited to uh, to let you know that we've got some really great uh conversations upcoming in season two the next one will be with the uh, usama commander uh, colonel ryan bailey so look forward to that one uh as it's uh uh, it'll be our next episode and we've got a really exciting group of uh folks that have made great contributions to the medical service course so we look forward to talking to you again soon